today we're actually starting a new series called Revive All. Um, last week, Anthony gave a little bit of introduction to that, and I just want to give it again. What is Revive All? Right, we typically hear of revival, okay? And for me, I remember growing up, and I went to revivals a lot. I would go all the time, okay? And, you know, you all know a little bit of my story I've shared. Um, I didn't really start following Christ till I was 17, but I was a churchgoer my whole life. So my parents, grandparents would bring me to church, drag me to church on Sundays that I wanted to sleep in. Right, but then these revivals would happen, and I really did not like them <laughs> because it was every day of the week we would go up there at night, right, and typically, I would look around and it would be the same people that were there on Sunday morning. It would be the same flow of service. Right, we might have a, a special, they would call it a special singing, right? Where we would bring in, in my church growing up, they would bring in bluegrass bands, okay? So they'd have a bluegrass band, man. And, um, but typically it was a, the singing, then you'd have an evangelist come in, or it would be your pastor, one. Um, and they would, they would speak for a lot longer than Sunday mornings, right? Because at that point in time, they weren't having a battle for lunch, right? Um, we, so they, they, they already, chances are they already ate, so they could just go on forever, it seemed like. So for me, a uh, young kid, I'm like, man, we have to go to the revival again. Can't we just go to baseball? Can't we just go and play basketball, right? So revival just didn't sit well with me growing up. And so then I, under, I began to learn what revival is supposed to be, right? The definition of revival. Um, and for us, we, we have this uh, revival as a noun, a meeting of services, or of series of meetings for the purpose of reawakening religious faith, often characterized by impassioned preaching and personal or in public testimony. Um, you know, as I began to look at revival and what it truly meant in the history of the term. It typically was God showing up, right, and just, like, pulling apart, right, the heavens, okay, and it, him just dwelling among his people, and a revival would just break out. And typically in the history of the, the term, it wasn't for a week. It went on for a long time, right, and people were just coming to faith, you know, glorifying God, and just amazing things was happening in the revival, <laughs> So then I started, you know, I went to college and really studied revivals and the history of revivals. I'm like, what I grew up with, I didn't see many people revived, right? And so I'm like, this ain't right. Like, if, if we're going to call it, like, let's just call it, let's call it something else. Let's call it a series of church services, right? <laughs> Extended church services for a week-long meeting or something like that. I don't know, a, a cool trendy name maybe, but let's don't call it revival. So then, you know, a couple of years ago, we were in um, Bible Lab, and we started talking about revival, and God just coming down and just awakening, right, our community, and awakening us. And then it just hit me. Revive all. When true revival happens, everybody has the opportunity to be revived. Will everybody choose to be revived? No. But the invitation is to everyone, right? When revivals happened throughout history, people were changed in and outside of the church gathering, right? Communities were changed, right? And so that's what revive all means to us. It means this. The unleashing of the Holy Spirit in the human hearts to live and love powerfully in our neighborhoods and in our cities. And so a revival culture where everyone is given that opportunity to be revived, right? Once dead, now brought to life, right? Once now voiceless, 
now given a voice. You know, all those type things. It's a place, right, that is so thin. We talked about that thin place. We've been talking about that thin place like our Celtic brothers and sisters uh, taught us from the history. A thin place that the Spirit of God can fall on people and transform them and their communities. So a simple worship service just don't cut it, right? And it bothers me that we can label something like that. Well, come on, come to revival, right? God's going to show up. How do you know he's going to show up? (laughs) You know? He might not, right? Then what? Right? (laughs) And so for us, like, I feel like, Yes, we want, we long for revival, okay? And we pray for revival. I don't think it's wrong to pray for revival. But there uh, comes a point where obedience has to happen, where you start walking that out in your own day-to-day life. So what is revival? What is revival? I've been reading a book called The Fire That Never Sleeps. Um. And it really unpacks different revivals throughout history. But this, um, this uh, preacher that wrote the book, several people wrote the book, but this one um, is a direct quote from him that I'd like to read. It's Dr. Michael Brown. He describes revival like this. A season of unusual divine visitation resulting in deep repentance, supernatural renewal, and sweeping reformation in the church along with radical conversions of sinners in the world often producing moral social and even economical change in the local or national communities so it's more than just repentance right we talk about that that you know if 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 god only wanted repentance right and it wasn't like truly a life transformation then Jesus, why didn't he die at birth, right? Why wasn't he born, right, of a virgin, like like the prophecy says? But then why didn't they just strap him to a, a tree and crucify him as a newborn Jesus? Because, I mean, if, if Jesus, if, if Jesus' sole purpose was for salvation for, for all people, then why did Jesus have to live a life for 33 years? There's more to it than that. It's a life being transformed. It is communities being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And by the way, I'm glad he lived a life here on earth because it's in his teaching that I've learned how to to live my life. Am I perfect? By no means. But he gives me something to grasp for, right, to go after And so revival brings about moral, social, and even economical change in our communities. A few things that revival is not, and we've talked about those already, but uh, revival is not a series of special meetings at church. It is not what a church does a few times a year to simply draw in new converts. It is not about the unusual physical manifestations that tend to happen when people are touched by the Holy Spirit. Right? Like we talked about, like when we talked about the Holy Spirit, a lot of times that's when people tend to talk about revival, right? Whenever certain gifts are present. It can't only be about that either. Okay? Revival is more than gifts. Right? Revival is not idol worship. And what I see in a lot of churches in America especially, is a revival. That week-long revival that we've been talking about can be idol worship, right? Where you come and you gather and you idolize the musicians, you idolize the sermons, right? And the revival can become your idol. But that's not right. God wants to do something inside of each one of us here today. God wants to bring a revival to us, but it starts here. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, said this. 
as he was observing prayer and, and praying for revival, he says, Have you noticed how often people, um, how often many pray for revival um, on, as of late, but how little revival happens? And he says this, I believe the problem is this, that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying. And it simply will not work. You can pray for revival all you want. But unless it um, starts with obedience, revival's not going to happen. We can pray to God to come down. But if we're not ready, what good is it? Right? So revival often starts on the personal level. Revival starts within this conscious decision to, to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God, typically a revival is birthed out of that, right? Typically, it starts with one. If you look at the, the revivals of the past, it typically happens where someone is completely obedient to God and so consumed by Him that they want to do everything in their power and their will to glorify Him with their life. And so then, yes, maybe they've been in their prayer closet praying for revival for within and transformation within, but then they just have to go and share it, right? And so revival then starts to happen because of one's obedience. So one revival that probably every one of us here uh, might know about, um, and if not, I'd like to share about it. It's the Azusa Street Revival, right? It was... In 1906, in L.A., in California, there was a gathering um, that happened around a, in Azusa Street. Um, it was a gathering of several holiness uh, pastors and, and lay people and holiness churches coming together. But then out of, out of all those people, one person came and pretty much led this revival. And it was William J. Seymour. African-American pastor, he himself started to experience revival within. And like I said, he maybe started in his prayer closet, but it didn't stay there. He walked in obedience and started to share and started to preach. And this revival that started the Pentecostal movement, right, that is still going on, that is known for being one of the the biggest revivals to, to impact us here today and is still going and transforming lives over overseas and even here today. Started with him sharing the gospel. But this revival went on from April 9th, 1906. And it says that it continued to roughly 1915. Forget week-long revivals. <laughs> now that is a revival. And what amazes me that I want to just kind of focus on, because there's a lot of great things in this revival that I would love for others to, to study for sure. But there's one thing that just really sparked as I was looking at this revival, is that thousands and thousands of people would come up on this place in L.A., and just come and just sit under the teaching and, and sit under the anointing and just want to experience the awakening and the, the falling of God on his people. And people would come from all over the world and just come and just and actually pack up and live there sometimes. Some would just come for a week. Some would just come for the night. And they would just experience the, the fire of God in their lives. But what amazes me even more than all the thousands and thousands of people is that, yes, it started with one, one man, right, being obedient. But the core team wasn't thousands. The core team that actually was a part of just that core of the movement, 50 to 60 people. 50 to 60 people heard the gospel, responded, and experienced revival like no other. Fifty or sixty people were obedient to his call on their life, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people can attribute to their calling, right? 
If it wasn't for them, would we be gathered in this room? Maybe not. Right? Um, you know, that's just a powerful uh, story of revival that, you know, it wasn't thousands of people who, who were driving that, right? It was only 50 or 60 people. And I think about Mission House, right? I think we're hungry for revival in, in Rowan County. We want it. We've been praying for it. And yes, we might be small in number, but it only takes one, right? only takes one person that catches on fire for God and can revolutionize a city. Revival happens when, when people are so amazed by God that they want to glorify Him with everything that they, they have and everything that they do even down to everything that they think and say. So are you amazed with God? Right? You hear, hear that word, right? Um, amazed. Especially in teens. You know, I've been working with teens for years now. Ever since college, I've had some type of involvement in mentoring teens. And they love to say awesome. I even, I'll, I'll confess, I love to say awesome. Man, that's awesome. That is awesome, man. Yeah. Wow. But really, like, awesome is, wow, I went to the movie last night, which, by the way, I didn't. But I hear that some people went and saw Jason Bourne. Uh-huh. Yeah. You didn't? Okay. So we'll go together. All right. And I heard it was awesome, right? We describe movies as awesome. <laughs> we, talk, we talk about cars and say they're awesome. We even can describe a hot sauce as awesome, right? A fast food uh, cheeseburger as awesome, right? We find our, our celebrities, right? The, the police, I mean, not the police, the um, players on our teams that we, choose, uh, we follow, like on the Hornets and the uh, Tar Heels, right? Those are my two teams, so that's really the ones I care about. Um, but those... <laughs> those uh, are celebrities that we look up to, and we're in awe of them a lot of times. We're in awe. If Michael Jordan showed up here today, right, we would be in awe, sadly. Right, we, I work at Chick-fil-A. We have all kinds of people come, come through, and I see the teenagers, what happens whenever a celebrity comes in, right? Like little Wayne showing up in our drive-thru right or i don't know any true tar hill fans but eric montross coming through right or tyler zeller coming through and he's like this tall so you're gonna see him coming through right um race car drivers coming through and they're all like oh that, you know who that is and i'm like oh, you can, go ahead you can go take a picture with them it's all right i'll i'll cover you go take a picture but only for a second, right? They're in awe of these celebrities. So awe, awesome, and awe is this common word that in our culture is misused. Are we truly in awe, right? Are we truly in awe of God? In Psalms 89, verse 7, it says, The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. And he is far more awesome than those who surround his throne. If you think about it, if you look into Scripture and you see what angels did, like one mere angel had the power to kill thousands of people. And there's a story about that in the Old Testament, right? And so these, this angel and all the power that that angel has is in all of God. And in this scripture, it talks about those around the throne are even in all of God. Hosts of angels, all creatures, in all of God. And yet we're in all of a hot sauce, right? We're in all of a pair of shoes. I think we need some, some change of heart here in, in our day. See, God is awesome. So I love kids' books, and this one right here is incredible. 
Like I, I look, open this book up and I read it, you know, with with Paulina, and she reads it to me, and she tells me all these crazy things that happens. She also has the Ripley's Believe It or Not book. You know, those are really cool too. Sometimes gross and disgusting things are in there, but uh, you know, these type books, man, they they just are incredible about our world. And so, one that I was reading about the other day was about just our universe. Right, and how we have the the capability now, like no other time, really, to look at these amazing high definition pictures of Earth. And so, I'd like to show you one that just fascinates me. And this is one of the United States of America. Actually, that's the sun, but you not go back. The United States of America's should be right before. It. Yeah, there you go. So this is at the. Um, the space um, station that orbited around the Earth and gathered all these pictures at night, right? And this is just the United States. There's actually a, a collage of pictures that's been, like, put together, and basically you can see every aspect of the Earth put in this panoramic view, and it's just incredible. But this is at night what we look like from the space station, and so, you know, you can see this is um, where we are, okay? And, you know, these high spot, high um, intensity of light are the big cities, you know, like Charlotte. If you look further up north, you can see uh, New York, uh, Philadelphia, you know, all those. And you go down to Florida, you can see where Tampa is and Miami. And you can kind of see, and even into Houston, you can kind of tell where the major cities are just by the, the amount of light that are, is coming up from that. I just think it's fascinating to see images of that. And we have the power and the capability to go even further out, right, to where that you can't even see. We have the capability to go out thousands and thousands, right, of miles from the earth now and take a picture where you can't even see Earth. Actually, you have a hard time even seeing our own galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. We're capable of seeing that, where Earth is just like even a little speck of uh, sand on the image. And yet we're in awe of things that really is simply like, like nothing, right? Like with that, compared to... Michael Jordan showing up. Seriously? Right? And go to the next slide, the sun. The sun is also in this book that I read this past week. You know, this sun is, is amazing. And the facts about our sun is amazing. Did you know that our sun um, is 864,000 miles across? And it can fit more than 1 million Earths inside of it one million earths that's a pretty big sun pretty huge Did you know that it's about 93 million miles away from us and if it were to move slightly closer to us we'd burn up if it moved slightly further away from us we'd probably freeze right but yet it works perfectly because god created it do you know that sun that uh, you know, is, is huge and can fit that many earths inside of it. Um, truly is pretty small compared to all the other stars. This is a little small dwarf star, right? Compared to all the other stars in the universe. Our sun, eh, tiny. <laughs> That's amazing, right? It, ma it amazes me, right, to look at space and all that and all its wonder. Uh, then let's go under the earth. How about it? This amazes me as well. If you go and you can look at a coral reef, right? I went to Aruba when I was 12, and I loved it. We went snorkeling and looked, and I took off my snorkel because I was like, I'm going to go under. Forget being above the water. I'm going to go under the water. And so you can see things like that, right? This is actually in Australia, um, and I actually became a scuba diver because one day I want to go and see this, right? So this is just all different kinds of corals. 
and it's just amazing. And I, actually, I got a picture of some of my favorite corals. If you want to go to the next slide, if you ever come over to my house, I'll show you some of these corals from the pulsing zenas. That is one of my favorite corals. That actually that looks like fingers, and they actually pulse, and it looks like they're just like reaching out. And for me, I'm thinking, man, these are like glorifying God right now, reaching out, and just amazing to the the torch coral that um, you can see like a Nemo fish, um, clownfish swimming around in to the uh, zoanthids at the top. All different kinds of beautiful corals living underneath the ocean that we're not aware of, right? Because most of us in this room will probably never actually swim down and see them. But now we have the capability of growing them in our own aquarium. So if you ever come over to my house, I'll show you a couple of those. Um, which is really cool. The kids are uh, fascinated by those, and I am too. What even fascinates me too is just the how the the ecosystem works underneath. Right, ammonia comes from plants and animals under, under there that they're releasing their waste, and too much ammonia would kill kill them. But there's bacteria that's live underneath in the sand, on the corals, in the rocks. And that bacteria takes the ammonia, right? And it also takes nitrite, okay? Nitrite is also a chemical that is released by fish and animals and corals. But then those two chemicals work together to create nitrite, okay? And nitrite actually is really good and helpful and pr produces growth. So you need ammonia and you need nitrite to make nitrate, to produce this growth and, and the bacteria makes that all happen. That live bacteria makes that all happen. And in reality, that's what happens in our stomachs. In reality, that's what happens out in, in our plants and under the earth, right? Um, all that, the chemistry behind that, there's this ecosystem in every one of us that that, that is how God created it to work. Right? And the water right to the to the details of it has to be moving you ever been to a pond that's never like the the water stops moving it stops flowing there's no steady flow what typically happens what's on top of it it's green it's nasty you don't want to jump in that algae starts to grow and it just overtakes and it kills the water and pretty much everything underneath is dead because the, um, it's not moving. The system is not moving and working as it's supposed to. And so those things just amaze me. To the air we breathe. Right, here's a picture, this next one, of a dandelion. Um, and as we think about the air that moves and, and we breathe, sometimes we wake up and we, we breathe in this air. Right? And if, if you don't really have any severe, like, you know, Anthony and um, others here, like, they actually have, like, um, elements that they, they can tell whenever they're low on oxygen, right? Um, but some of us that don't have those um, elements, we take for granted the air we breathe. It is, it's just amazing that we can function off oxygen, right? And we breathe out what comes out carbon dioxide but what would happen if we reverse that it would kill us yeah you can't you you can't live off of carbon dioxide right but god works it out so that it brings life and that amazes me it also amazes me that these little things here are seedlings and they blow and my kids love to blow them everywhere and what ends up happening dandelions take over my yard Right, and the little seeds, I mean, to the smallest of things should amaze us, but does it? So I hope that we are amazed by God. We live in a world that loves to say awesome, but to the, do they truly represent it? Do they truly live that out? Our God is awesome. And so a common uh, word that typically I, I like to use to describe when we actually... Uh, see God's presence in our day-to-day, -day. when we see God's presence in our life, people, especially in the Old Testament, 
they are all struck. Right? We typically describe it like starstruck. I've heard that being described before. All struck is where you are filled with revealing all of something. And so when God showed up in stories in the scriptures, their response is to be full of all of who he is. In the New Testament, we like to talk about Acts. Acts 2, in verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with all. And all these great things happened. But I think that to have all these great things happen, right, in, in, our, in our lives, in our church, in our communities, you have to start there, in awe. Are you in awe of God? Or do you just like the, the gifts that come from God? Are you truly in awe of his glory? That is the question. See, whenever, um, I love what uh, the, a worship leader describes, uh, Matt Redman. Um, he's written several of the songs that we enjoy to sing, like 10,000 Reasons, Bless the Lord, um, Blessed Be Your Name, those type uh, songs that we sing in here. He says this, When we face up to the glory of God, we soon find ourselves face down in worship. When we face up to the glory of God, we soon find ourselves face down in worship. If you look at the Old Testament especially, whenever people faced up to the glory of God, their response was to bow in reverence of Him because they know what He did for them. He created everything. And he, they know his authority, his power, right? And also his love. And so their response was to bow before them in reverence. Do we truly do that today? When's the last time that you truly have seen someone just fall on their face because of being an awestruck? Fall on your face because they've seen the glory of God. And they, their only response is to simply fall out before him. We've, the kids have been experiencing camp. Um, I remember I've only been to that point a couple of times in my life, to be honest with you, where I was just completely in awestruck uh, mode and completely face down because of his presence in my life, and it was at that camp. I remember there was a speaker. It was actually one of my good friends and now mentors in my life, Josh, um, Josh Leroy, uh, which several of y'all have met him. Uh, he was pre- preaching, and just God moved in, in the message, and it just convicted me, and just my heart was just in awe of who God is and how much He loves me for who I am, and He meets me there. And I remember the altar call happened, and I don't even know how many people was there. I didn't even look around. All I know was I was one front and center, big six-foot-four guy laying on his face, weeping in awe. And I think we need more of that. So if we truly want to be revive all, I think we need revive all, A-W-E, in our lives. So face down worship is all over Scripture. I'd just like to mention several to you. Think about Abram. When God appeared to him in Genesis uh, 17, he fell down. In all, Moses and Aaron falls down as they encounter his glory in Numbers 20. King David goes face down in an act of humble repentance. Daniel, he says he bowed down with, my, with his face towards the ground and was speechless. What about what we learned about last week when Peter, James, and John found themselves face down in worship because of their overwhelmed by the transfigured Jesus Christ. They were face down worshiping, worshiping him. What about John's revelation in the last uh, book of the, the Bible? It says that John encountered the risen and exalted Jesus whose eyes blaze like fire and whose face is shining like the sun in all its brilliance. Overwhelmed to the core, John shrinks down to the ground in reverence and also fear. He saw God and he fell face down. Then it goes on in Revelation 7, says, All the angels were standing around the throne 
and all the elders and all the four living creatures, they fell down on their face before the throne and worshiped God. In 1 Kings, it talks about this as well. Elders bowed down low there around the throne. The angels encircled it. And the whole host of heaven arranged themselves around it. And then Revelation 7, 9 says that one day a countless multitude from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, people will gather there. And you know what will happen? They'll be face down in awe of the glory of God. And we've talked about this before. Um, You know, at the end of time, we really are all going to be face down. It's either going to be face down by choice or face down by force. Because every knee will bow down to the king. In heaven, on earth, and it even says under the earth, the demons will cry out and confess Jesus is Lord. And they will be on their face before him. So, people were face down in worship. Is that not enough for us? Maybe it's not. Let's look at little G gods. How about that? Do they bow down? The Philistine nation captured the ark of the Lord. Unaware of the power that was involved in the embodiment of God's presence in that. They carried it out of the temple and placed it in front and then beside of their idol, Dagon. Early in the next morning, they find their idol face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Wow. Little gods worship and bow down in reverence. Wasn't enough for the Philistines, so they picked him up, <laughs> put him back in its place. What happens the next day? They come in, he's face down, but this time broken to pieces. Because whenever you encounter the presence of God, the only response truly is to be in reverence of Him. And so even little gods that we like to create in this earth man-made bows down to God. Our little revivals that we like to talk about, that we love to idolize, will one day bow down before God as well. The things, everything will bow down before God. And I believe that today we have to ask ourselves that question. Are we going to be a church that bows down in reverence to God? Are we going to be a church that truly wants revival in such a way that you live your life awestruck by Him? In Leviticus it says that they shouted with joy and fell face down. So they're filled with wow, right? We tend to think of wow, right, with awe. Woo! You know, we like to shout in church, right? Do we? We tend to like to shout in church. But what you also see in Scripture is that they were, whoa. And they find themselves falling down because of the power of God. So I think we might need a little bit less shouting and more bowing before the king too. Not saying that the shouting is bad. But sometimes we shout too much that we truly miss out the presence of God in our lives where we should be bowing in awe. One of my favorite pastors, um, and I've quoted him a lot in our church, uh, is John Wesley. Um, He once wrote in his journal, he was gathered with several brothers um, of believers in 1739. It was January 1st, 1739. There were several, about six of them. Uh, Several of them you won't know. Charles Wesley, he's a great hymn writer. It was his brother. Uh, George Wiltfield is another one that was gathered there. Um, Just an amazing evangelist. They were all present. It says this. We were all present at our love feast at Fetter Lane with about 60 of our brethren. About three in the morning as we were 
continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mighty upon us in such a way that many cried out in, in joy and many fell to the ground. This is three in the morning, by the way. <laughs> as soon as we were recovered a little, a little from the awe and amazement at the presence of his almighty, we, bo- we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be Lord. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be Lord. Whenever you truly acknowledge the Lord for his power in your life, you will truly be in awe. And we truly be in awe and live that out. I believe that God is going to use you to do amazing things for your life. Right? Sometimes it maybe not maybe it won't be a great revival. Right? Not everybody's going to set a fire in such a way that revival is going to break out and thousands of people. But guess what? It might take starting a revival in your home where your kids come to Jesus and find him to be their Lord. And they die to self and they start following him. To me, that's all I, I would love. I got, <laughs> if that happened in my house, and we see sparks of that happening right now even. I'd be good with that. Because what God calls us to is obedience. He doesn't say every one of you. He doesn't look at Anthony and Brenda and Ash and Jesse and every one of us in this room and says, hey, you're going to start a great awakening. No. (laughs) He calls us to be obedient, right? And sometimes in church culture, sometimes we tend to focus in on on those people that start the Great Awakening, right? The William Seymours even. And we idolize that to where that isn't walking faithful in the Lord if we don't see that happen. But what God wants to do in our lives is to bring things low so that He can be made on high. He wants us to to bow down. You know, Wesley ended up going and, and preaching the gospel in prisons, workhouses, chapels, fields, covered a, like a quarter of a million miles by horseback. A quarter of a million miles on horseback, that's crazy. <laughs> right? George Whitfield and others, um, they became known as sparking a great awakening, a great revival that touched every class in that society. Anti-bishop, uh, Archbishop, sorry, Archbishop um, Davison wrote in 1928, he said, Wesley practically changed the outlook and even the character of the English nation. Right? What I love about Wesley's story is he was Anglican. He loved high church. I mean, he loved to dress up, and he had the, the, this was 1700s, right? So they had the old wigs, right? (laughs) The the robes. He loved high church, but he started preaching a gospel that church didn't really like. So what what happened? He was kicked out of the church, wasn't allowed to preach in the Anglican church. So George Whitfield figured out field preaching. So John Wesley discovered his pulpit was a stump, and he started open-air preaching. Hated it. Hated it. He hated to do the field preaching, but he knew that God called him to obedience. And so he went around by horseback. Most of his audience was field workers, was, you know, not in the high church that he was used to. But thousands and thousands of people came to know the Lord because of that. Because of obedience. Right? We want revival to happen in our lives. Are you being obedient to what God's calling you to? Right? 
Wesley could have just said, no. <sighs> I got kicked out of the church. Well, I'm sad. And he tried to do everything in his graces to get in favor with the, the bishops, right? And hopefully get back in the church, right? No. It's like, that's my preference, but I'm going to do something outside of my preference because the Lord commands me to do it. And so, in your life, what is God at work in you? Maybe God's saying today that you need to acknowledge Him. You need to acknowledge the awe that comes with His, His power and His presence. Maybe He is saying to you that you need to to bow in reverence of him because of what he's done in your life. Some of you may be here and you're just, you're in need of a miracle. There's something going on in your life, in your body, in your home, whatever it may be, and you need a miracle. And I think miracles happen every day in America, but we're unaware of it. Really, this, this uh, series, last series even, was a part of a conversation that me and Anthony had. And it was really talking about that. That America, man, we don't see a whole lot of the, the supernatural because we're so consumed by consumerism, right? We're so consumed with ourselves that we're unaware of the, the mystery of God in our life. And we need more and more miracles. And the thing is, is there's miracles right here before you today. I love to look at smart people and see what they say. <laughs> so Albert Einstein, I was taught he was a pretty smart guy. So he said this. There's only two ways to live your life. One is to live where nothing is a miracle. And the other is as, as if though everything is a miracle. The air we breathe is a miracle. Waking up in the morning is a miracle. The fact that our, our heart beats in rhythm, or the fact is that we have doctors that are smart, that they can put a little machine in us and make our hearts beat in rhythm. That's pretty amazing, Right? Right? Those, those, we're a miracle here today because every one of us are in here and our hearts are beating. We're breathing air. We're a miracle. But maybe you are in need of a, a special miracle. And I would just say that, you know, seek God. Seek God for that. Maybe something's going on in your home and you just need God to just show up. And you're praying for that. And I'm believing that with you. And I truly believe that once God shows up, your response is to be in awe, right? And once you're in awe, you start to be obedient to the life that he calls you to. And I believe greater things will happen in Rowan County, in Salisbury, in North Carolina, to the ends of the earth, when one person... Right, One person in this room truly responds to the presence of God in their life. Right, doesn't take a nation. Right, It just can simply take, take one, one person. It can take a gathering of 50 to 60 people, thousands of people being impacted. It can take a group of um, brothers in Christ gathering a, around a, in a room at three in the morning in prayer and it completely changed the culture of a nation. I think here in this room there is some amazing things that God wants to do and even what God has done. And we are crying out for revival. So my question is, do you truly have revive? all A-W-E in your life. Are you all struck? Or growing up, what my folks would say, are you all shucks? Right? Right? For me, I want to be the person that lives 
in reverence of God for who he is and what he has done in my life and how he loves me. And so today I just encourage y'all to seek his face. Yes, pray for revival. Yes, pray for transformation. Live in obedience to his word and his teaching. And I believe that revival will, will break out, but it starts here. It starts with me. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what you've done throughout history. As we think about the great revivals, God, we're seeking you now that you would revive all here in Rowan County, that you would revive all here in this room. God, that your presence would show up in such a way that our response is just to fall in reverence of who you are. God, I pray that we would get to that point as individuals so that we can see life change here within us. That our mind, our eyes, our, our heart would be so transformed by you that people would see something different in us and all they can describe this abnormal behavior is the presence of God is in their life. And I pray that the families here would be restored. And I pray for the lives of sinners would be set free. I pray for our economy. And I pray for all people, rich and poor, and to fall in reverence of who you are. God, that you would move in such a way that our society's character would change and it would look more and more like Christ. That we would not be shaped by the things of the world of violence, but God, we would be shaped by the things of your kingdom, that of shalom. God, help us to be in all of you. And I pray for those that's in this place right now, God, as they leave this, this room, God, that they wouldn't take for granted of what they're going to experience today, but they would fall in awe of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.